welcome everyone to episode 60. I don't know what 60 is in anniversary. Uh, is it Ruby? Is it Ruby or something? We should buy each other things for these milestones, Greg. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Massive thank you in advance to doctors, uh, Cynthia Formosa and Alfred Gatt from Malta. Um, we're going to just have a bit of a loose episode here where we talk about Malta. We talk about podiatry in Malta, podiatry in Europe. And we just see uh, and all the research that these guys have done. And we just see where the discussion takes us so anything you want to ask um if you're if you're watching on facebook uh, as we go along just drop it in the comments and craig will craig will pick it up i often start by uh, doing a little bit of research about our guests um you know the day in the days leading up to this and then sort of bunch together a bit of a summary but these two have just been have just been too successful and they've just had too much going on we've got fellowships at staffordshire university here in the uk we've got presidencies of, of uh, European sort of higher education podiatry things. So I just, if, if, if I may, might just ask you to, to talk about yourselves for a bit and just introduce yourselves to, to our audience, um, a bit about you um, and, and your background, if that's okay. If we, if we start with you, Cynthia, if that's okay. Yes, so um, currently I am the head of the podiatry department at the University of Malta. Uh, here we have a number of courses, starting from bachelor courses, we offer master courses, and also um, PhDs. Um, besides that, uh, as you have said, uh, we dedicate a lot of time to research. Um, me, myself, my speciality is diabetes, the diabetic foot, um, diabetes education, amongst others. So basically, that is it about us. You know, um, we, we, we try to, as much as possible, promote podiatry and obviously try um, to, 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 to make the profession grow as much as possible. Awesome. Um, and Alfred? Well, I'm, I qualified in one of the first podiatry courses in Malta. If I, if I dare say so, 33 years ago. That's a long, long time ago. So uh, spent over 20 years in, in public health, you know, um, I was managing the podiatry services in Malta. And then about 10 years ago, decided that academia was for me. You know, I had too, too much stress on the job, if I may say so. Um, yeah, we do a lot of, um, as, as uh, Cynthia was saying, we do um, a lot of courses. Um, we stick to the British model of, of podiatry here. Um, I am... You know, I, I supervise quite a lot of masters and PhD uh, students. I'm also president of MPODE, which is the European Network of Podiatry in, 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 in higher education, actually. That's the, 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 and, and our members are actually um, universities from all over Europe. We've got about 27 universities at the moment. You know, Malta, Belgium, the UK, um, Holland, France. Um, hopefully Italy soon. So we're trying to, you know, put podiatry on a par because there's a lot of problems with podiatry, as you know, um, all over Europe. It's the uh, different models that are employed and all that. So we are keeping ourselves quite busy, you know. <laughs> actually, actually, Alfred, you, you said that you, you left the public sector to come to academia because of the stress levels. Um, how are the stress levels now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how how are the stress levels now? <laughs> well, they're always high, but <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least I'm enjoying it. To be honest, at least I'm enjoying. We love doing research. We love teaching. You know, we love 
young young people who come in our in our courses, you know, it makes you feel young as well, you know, dealing with twenty year olds and then the more mature students, thirty year olds are are, are a bit older, you know. So, so yeah, it's it's sure. So look, actually, just before we go on, for those that have just joined, I'd, let me let me just point out where Malta is. <laughs> um, I, shame on you shame I've, on you if you don't know this already yeah I've, sure. i i have as cynthia and alfred know i have visited um but here's my google map zooming in um italy and there, there it is there <laughs> for those that that don't know where where it is um, let me stop the share so tiny island south <laughs> of sicily mm. um we are officially we officially have a population of half a million now. We've seen uh, about a 25% increase in the population in the past five or 10 years or so. So we're growing. We're such a small island, but we're growing, you know. Uh, a lot of British influence. Um, English is actually one of our official languages. So we in Malta, we speak Maltese and English. And we also speak Italian, but, uh, you know, but that's not in the sort of constitution. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are a lot of uh, British ties here. Um, you know, Malta was a British base for about 200 years, I think. So, mm-hmm. Perfect. We, we had a few questions come in about, about uh, podiatry in Malta. So a bit about sort of, yeah. um, you yeah. know, how many, how many students there are, how many podiatrists there are, and, and are people in private you know the private sector research and, and, and several questions like that i think uh, you know as we were talking before off air you said you had a a bit of a presentation it seems like you probably get this uh this, you get the opportunity to talk about this a lot is uh what do you think craig should we should we well, go should to we, the presentation we'll go to the first, presentation or... we, we can interrupt with questions or something like that if that's okay um yeah 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 should i share share yeah okay uh well, that's our university, okay? Um, it's about uh, 12,000, 15,000 students. Um, our course is a four-year course. It's a, a sort of traditional UK type of course. Um, it's actually the only course in Europe which is accredited by the Royal College of Surgeons and Physicians of Glasgow. And, you know, we've worked um, a lot in that respect. To, 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 to make this happen because we believe that having the same body that accredits medical, um, other medical professions, you know, would, would be a benefit to us. Uh, well, our website and well, this is one of our clinics. Um, our, our faculty is actually based inside the main hospital. Um, we have one big hospital. It's a, it, it, it's quite a new hospital now, quite busy, uh, which is situated exactly next to the university. So it makes it easy for us to, um, to work from there. Um, this is our biomechanics lab where I'm presently at the moment. Um, I know that perhaps Cynthia can butt in because, I mean, she's, she's responsible for, for all this stuff, you know, and she, she does a hell of a good job for it you know, of coordinating all these Yes, um, as I said courses before, that we have. We offer courses um, with regards to our undergraduate program. Um, usually we have an intake of about 15 students a year. 
Um, obviously, we try to keep the number as small as possible. As we are saying before, it's because of the size of the island. In order to find patients for our students, we need to be very careful. We cannot cater for a lot of a number of students. Um, besides that, uh, we open all, we have also master courses and PhDs. These are also open to international students, especially students who are in the EU. They can come to Volta and study for free um, uh, as part of the, the, the European Union. We also offer subsidy courses, mainly in vascular assessment of the diabetic foot and also in um, clinical education. So basically, those are the courses which we offer every year. Um, as I said, attendance is quite good, so we are we are happy. Um, this is what we are seeing now is basically all Malta with Covino and Gozo. So for those of you who would like to come and study here in Malta, this is our island. So we, we have a lot of sun, unlike what uh, Ian was saying, where it's raining. Here it is nearly 40 degrees today. So the weather is amazing. <laughs> So, You're breaking yeah. my heart. You're breaking my heart. <laughs> you should come over in. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, that that is that is us at, at university. And besides that, obviously, we have also Erasmus placements. We have a lot of agreements with, with universities, both in the UK, Spain, Belgium, and both um, uh, senior lecturers come over uh, to share their experiences with us. Students are always welcome to come and spend a couple of weeks or months with us. Um, and obviously, um, basically, that, 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 is what, that, that is what we offer. Actually, Cynthia and Alfa, can I just, just ask, how, how many students do you have in each year group, about? As I said, we tried not to take more than 15 students a year. Because yeah. can I just say, from, from the outside looking in, given the size of Malta, given the size of the department, you're punching well above your weight and what you're achieving, which is really quite remarkable for the, for the small size. And, and how do you manage to do that? <laughs> well, we have to work hard. <laughs> but we are happy, as we said. We love our work. and We are committed to our work. So I think that's, that's the, 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 the secret to it all. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we get 50 per year in the UK. Um, Am I right? Are you the only university offering a podiatry yeah, undergrad yes. and postgrad? So every all. year, every year, the entire there's around fifty new graduates um, yes. per yes. per year, and and they they all stay in Malta. There's enough work for all of them, or they they travel around Europe, or they they go into you know, postgrad study. What 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 are the sort of splits there? Well, it's a it's a mixture, I would say. Yes, most of them till now stay in Malta. I mean, till now. You know, there are, there are still job opportunities because, as I said, podiatry is growing. People are becoming more, more aware of the profession. Um, so, yes, yeah, still now most of them stay, stay in Malta. Um, obviously, most of them are also studying at postgraduate level. Today, I think students have, are realizing that it's very important to, to, to study at postgraduate level. Obviously, some um, decide to go and study mostly in the UK. But as I said, I mean, from, from uh, the very um, recently, uh, although some of the Maltese students do go and study in the UK, but now we are also seeing people from Europe coming to study at our university. So at the moment, we have people from Greece who are interested to start a PhD with us. Um, we have uh, people from, the, from Belgium who have asked to start a master's degree with 
with us. So, you know, I think we are now, we are also becoming also um, um, internationally well-known too. So we are seeing a lot of students even from Europe. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. If I'm honest, I look at this beautiful island in front of me here. I, I, hear, the, the, I hear that it's 40 degrees and you see what just an amazing setup you guys have got. And I think to myself, wow, like 20 years ago, you, I'd have been straight over there in the summer holidays for a placement. No messing. The most amazing thing, if I may say so, is that the undergrad programs are free. Yeah. So wow. our, our students don't pay anything and because um and it's because of the eu anyone in the eu who would like to come and study in malta will also will also uh, study for free yeah you know Perfect. um uh, they actually get a stipend our students actually get paid to 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 during their courses so um so besides all our students do their training actually at the at the nhs you know, at the, at the hospitals and the health centers, old people's homes and uh, mental hospital. So um, how do we do it? It's because we have a lot of um, supervisors who work very hard. So they are not full-time, um, they are not full-time lecturers. They will be visiting lecturers and, and, and mentors. So they supervise um, our students more or less almost on a one-to-one basis. Um, and they do a great job at, um, at that. Besides podiatry, we also, um, I, I also coordinate a, a master's in clinical biomechanics, which is open to podiatrists, physiotherapists, you know, engineers, physicians. We've had physicians and physiotherapists as students. Uh, I like to say we've got a very well-equipped lab here, so um, we, we enjoy this program very much, and we... we we also do uh, masters by research, which means that most of the uh, students can actually not stay at home, but you know they can do their research in their country if they come from a foreign country, for example. Um, and did, did, sorry, did I hear correctly, Alfred, that anyone in the EU gets their postgraduate study for free uh, as well? Did I did I hear that? Not postgrad, just the undergrad. Okay. The postgraduate fees are really very, very low. Huh? Yeah. So I a think very, like a, very... a master's degree will cost about four hundred euros a year. Four hundred euros a year. Yeah, for wow. a master's. I mean, I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the eleven thousand pounds that mine cost me. Yeah. And I'm thinking. I'm thinking if there's yeah. people sit, sitting here contemplating biomechanics masters or whatever masters um and they're uk based this is this is this is hopefully something they might might consider and they don't necessarily need to what you're saying is for the mres they wouldn't have to move to malta either although i don't know why they wouldn't want to but you, you know what i mean <laughs> but if do if they do want to work in our lab i mean in our lab we've got an 18 camera vicon we've got two empty force plates we We've got a CAT CAM system, 3D printers, inshoe foot pressure, EMG, uh, thermal cameras. So, you know, we're quite well equipped, if I may, if I may say wow. so. So, so wow. yeah, we had interesting, interesting um, we're still having interesting, um, um, you know, uh, projects going on, which we, we even publish most of them. 
you know, like, you know, gate changes in pregnancy, um, we study materials for offloading the foot. Um, we're looking at, for example, what's known as an oxetic materials, which are a new breed of materials which behave differently to the normal paddings that we normally use, you know. Um, we, we, we've studied, you know, just, just uh, two weeks ago, we just published a paper in Gait and Posture about uh, the effect of peripheral tear disease on muscle activity. We, we had a lot of EMG usage in that. So, you know, our students, you know, we try to make them do, um, you know, to motivate them to do um, projects which have a meaning, you know, not just a little bit of a project just to say that they did a project, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's perfect. Did you, was there any more slides you wanted to share? I only say that because looking at this map, I'm just um, so, so insanely jealous. I need, I, I I need this. this on the... <laughs> That's better. I need, that, I need that beautiful island out of my, out of my eye shot. <laughs> <laughs> like, Craig, I did a, um, a little bit of a... But uh, this is the motivation for most of our research. You know, although in Malta, you can hardly see it on the map. We have a very high prevalence of diabetes. Oh, yeah. um, so it's, at the moment, it's about 10 to 15 percent of the population with diabetes. But according to IDF, by 2040, there will be a staggering 45 percent of the population which has diabetes. But why? Why so, is that? Why is know, that so? Why is that so high? What's you? That, yeah. that, that is quite high for the, for the. What's the nature of the population that would make it that high? Yeah, we believe that it is a genetic, a genetic predisposition. Yeah. Because you're not, you're, not, you're not overrun with McDonald's or anything like that, are you? <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. It's, it's, it's genetic. Genetic. Exercise and obesity on the increase. But most of the time, I think it is a genetic problem. Um, which I believe comes from, um, and I think Cynthia can talk more about it than me, from the time of the war, when people were starved, you know, and then any scrap of food they could get, um, because we were the most heavily bombed country in World War II as well, you know. So, you know, basically the the, the, the body developed this, this type of uh, thrifty genotype thing that that uh, stores whatever food you, 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 you eat so, and predisposes us to obesity and all that stuff. And then there is this. It's another motivation, you know, the amount of amputations that are done. Um, now, the hospitals are very glad because, as you can see, the, the major amputations are going down, you know, but I'm... Fortunately, minor amputations are shooting up. And for us, major amputations, uh, uh, sorry, minor amputations, we also think that it is a very, 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 very big problem for, for, our, for our patients. Um, so Cynthia and I, we started doing, you know, concentrating a lot of our works on diabetes. So maybe Cynthia can say, yeah, um, we started basically by, uh, I mean, this, this uh, paper takes us back to 2012. So as you see, we've been now 
about six, seven years um, uh, researching on diabetes, the diabetic foot, the Malta. I mean, this was one of my first postdoctoral studies right after I got my PhD in 2009. And uh, as Alfred is saying, I mean, we started to realize um, local, local research was very scarce at the moment. There was no research at all with regards to Malta. And, and obviously we started to see the severity of this problem, you know, especially with regards to diabetic, diabetic foot disease. Um, as I said, and we started um, uh, conducting a number of, of studies. I mean, we, we, we wanted to see um, how the way that the people with diabetes actually do walk, biomechanical assessment, vascular assessment, neurological assessment. We, we were interested, we were interested like, you know, in, in, in all aspects of diabetes with regards to the diabetic foot. And uh, some of our results, in fact, were quite, quite shocking. You know, I mean, and obviously it kept showing us the importance of conducting more research in this field in order, in order to try to help um, this, this population and most importantly, to save limb and lives. Because I think after all, that is the main role of a podiatrist. Mm. You know, we are here to save limbs and obviously ultimately save lives. Because we do know that when patients have amputations, I mean, if you talk to our vascular surgeons, and they all say that people usually die, especially after major amputations, within a couple of years. You know, so so I think that the role of the podiatrist should really be to, to save limbs in order to save lives. I don't know if Alfred could go through a couple of papers more, which would be... Yeah, 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 for example, in this paper, you know, um, we really had some some quite revealing results for example we in this sample population like half of them with hallux valgus 39 percent of them with hammer toes you know 24 percent of our prominent metatarsal heads um you know uh, about 56 percent presented with unsuitable footwear so you know we were realizing the scope of the uh, the extent of of the problem in malta um Actually, can I, can I just ask, guys, the, just going back to the previous um, paper, the one on the prevalence of the prevalence of um, yeah, the, the one before that, uh, the, we look, looked at the, the prevalence of, of yeah, this one here, the, the, like the, the looking at regional variations in risk factors and regional variation complications is a, is a valuable resource to try and get to the bottom of it. Just on that, did you no, any, notice anything different with the Malta population compared to other populations? Well, first of all, um, there, are, there are a lot of um, differences, yes, because we, we technically talk about UK and USA populations. Yeah. Um, uh, we, are, we are really um, a Mediterranean European, also Semitic kind of mixture, yeah. you know, and so there are there are a lot of uh, differences in the way we think, in the way we we live our life in the hot climate by itself, for example, you know, um, like footwear, you know, um, footwear. All a lot of our patients use unsuitable footwear in in summer. Just because it is so hot to to um, to walk in a 35 degree 
you know, so uh, temperature. So, 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 um, yeah, yeah, we, this thing really started us off also on thinking about how to develop our own um, guidelines for diabetic food screening. And that, well, that is another story that is, that is coming uh, quite soon, you know. Uh, because we also did, Cynthia has led also um, uh, quite a lot of uh, work on diabetic foot screening. And we firmly believe that, you know, with screening, um, there are a lot of problems, cons- you know, with, with diabetic foot screening that need to be solved, especially in a country like ours. Yeah. Well, that makes, makes so, sense. Yeah. Hopefully. Fully. <laughs> so go, go back to the slide. Then, on here. Sorry to interrupt there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go back to this one. Yeah, that, that's a good. That's a good topic. <laughs> yes, that's a very hot topic. Yeah. Yes. We firmly believe that screening should be done by properly trained people, um, and just looking at a you know, at someone's pulse, they're just palpating someone's pulse um, is not a way to screen for, for uh, diabetic foot disease. You know, we think that whoever does the examinations and the screening should be properly trained. And basically we think it, most of the time it should be a podiatrist. <laughs> I may be a bit mm. <laughs> biased in that. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, 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 the issue here is that if, as we'll see later on that we talk about, about vascular okay, um, examinations if I detect if I cannot palpate someone's pulse it's already too late and we don't want to detect those, those people who are who have critical limb ischemia we don't want to detect those people. We want the screening process to detect um, those patients who are starting to have a, a foot problem so that they can be properly uh, treated um, by, by the, the professionals, you know? So if I detect them at a stage where it is still too late, okay, it's good for them, obviously. They need to be detected, surely. But we need to do more um, uh, more in-depth analysis when we are screening for for vascular for example for uh, vascular perfusion and that was when this next slide starts coming in maybe Cynthia can can talk about this so I don't want to take over <laughs> Cynthia well, basically, what we did, maybe there's another pr- um, paper before, um, after this. Basically, what we wanted to do, we, we, we did like a, a big review with regards to, to um, uh, screening guidelines, which are used basically around the world. I mean, we looked at big guidelines like the Australian guidelines, IDF, NICE, uh, Scottish guidelines. And if one had to read um, these guidelines, one would actually see that this, this is the paper I am talking about. Um, this is quite a big paper. Um, the, the, the guidelines do not agree. So while some guidelines tell you that, as Alfred is saying, palpation of pulses is enough with regards to vascular assessment, 
that obviously are then other guidelines which say no, you need to do an ABPI or you need to do toe pressures or you know. And obviously this creates confusion. I mean, if you are a clinician and you want to start some protocol with regards to foot screen, diabetic foot screening, and you start reading different guidelines, which different guidelines say different things, obviously it's going to be quite confusing to the reader. Furthermore, even if you have to look at the evidence behind uh, what these guidelines are proposing, again, even the guide, the, the evidence, um, it does not does not agree. So basically, we, we we wrote this paper and we critically evaluated these guidelines. And obviously, the recommendations from this paper is that obviously one needs to be very cautious um, with regards to both when you are trying to adopt food screening guidelines and even when we are actually screening in our clinics because um, we, we've conducted ourselves research um, like uh, maybe we could see the paper on, on vascular assessment. We basically used about all the six available tools which one could use. Um, this one was, was with regards to neuropathy also. But with regards to this vascular one, if you can see, we, we, we took a number of patients and we tested their, their peripheral arterial disease using pulse palpation, Doppler waveform analysis, ADPIs, um, toe pressures, TCPO2s. And if you see, if one looks at the graph, you see that same patient, you know, using okay different tools gives actually different um, answers. So if maybe you are uh, using pulse palpation, you do not feel the pulse. But and then if you are using a Doppler waveform, obviously you can feel, um, you can see, you can, you, can, you can feel the pulse. So obviously here we've, we've asked for caution with regards to, to clinicians, to which tools they should be using when they are screening um, with regards to peripheral arterial disease. And as I said, we also conducted this study even for peripheral neuropathy and we found the same, the, the same, the same results. So obviously our advice is to all podiatrists, clinicians, anyone who is doing any screening uh, methods and screening tests, not to rely only on one um, screening method. But obviously, if, if, if you are screening for peripheral arterial disease, um, you should obviously maybe start with pulse palpation, then move to Doppler waveform analysis, and then maybe if results are not, um, they do not concur, obviously we, we think that the, at, at present, the gold standard is the TBPIs, the toe brachial pressure indices, because we know that especially in diabetic patients and in patients who smoke, the arteries in the toes tend to become less calcified than the arteries in the legs. So that is why today, even if you read current literature, everyone is moving towards more toe pressures than towards ankle brachial pressure index because we know that with ankle bracial pressure index, we could have um, falsely elevated um, results in this population. Yeah. Actually, Cynthia, we just had a question. So, sorry, Cynthia, we just had a question about the guidelines. Well, first there was a comment, someone, uh, Veronica just commented that she's so glad that you actually raised the topic of guidelines. I know it's, there's been quite a lot of discussion on that in recent years about the differences. Veronica's also asked a question about well, which, which guideline would you or guidelines would you recommend? To, to be honest, as I said, I mean, if you read my paper, yeah. I, I am in no position to recommend any which which is the best one. You yeah. know, I mean, I don't think that would be fair. 
But um, I think one positive thing that we have seen, and I believe that our paper, to be honest, did raise the alarm. So I do believe that our paper did raise the alarm. Um, we, we did notice that um, even um, these, these guidelines are all now, um, they were all revised. They have introduced, maybe following even maybe our papers, the use of Doppler waveform analysis, because if you look at previous guidelines up to about four or five years ago, there was never no mention of Doppler waveform analysis. As I said, everyone used to say pulse palpation, ABPIs. Okay? Today, even these, these, these big guidelines okay, um, are realizing that ABPIs are no longer reliable. Because, as I said, because of the calcification of arteries. And, and we have to move to other tools. And as I said, even, if, even with regards to tools, um, we do not, as I said, recommend that a clinician should rely on one tool. You should at least use one or two tests. And when results do not concur, then obviously move to other tests. And if need be, even refer for duplex scanning, if obviously the results are, are extremely um, bad. You know, if I, if I have an extremely high-risk patient. Yeah. But just on the on the this issue of the reliability of the ABI or the ABPI, my understanding is that it is actually reasonably or acceptably reliable, but... Unhealthy people. But, but yeah, but the... It, it, it's just that the, some of the figures, because of the calcification, could be false. So yeah. it, it, it might be it might be quite repeatable in those people, but it might be quite repeatable exactly. of, a, of a falsely elevated value. Is, is exactly. that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, but the the thing is, is this, uh, Craig? We we a few years ago we tended to believe that anyone who has a calcified arteries will have an ABPI above one point three. Yeah. But it is really not the case. And we were, we were look, looking at this when we were looking at using various different techniques. So you can have someone who, for example, without any calcification would have an ABI of 0.6. But because of the calcification, that would be artificially raised to one. You know, and, and the problem is sometimes like in the UK, you have... Um, there's this tendency for um, foot care assistants to do ABIs themselves or for other non-clinicians to do ABIs. And for me, you know, just having an IBI of one means perfect. But then without, if you look at the clinical picture, if you look at how the foot presents itself, you know, if you look at the pallor, the cyanosis, uh, lack of... Um, lack of hair on, uh, and all that stuff, unless that person is trained very well, and they will not notice the, that, that that ABI of one is not really normal, but an elevated ABI of someone who should have LSS. So we really think that, you know, we should look for, and we still don't know the ideal, although we have, we've published a paper at the integrated reliability of, of waveform analysis, we found that it has a huge, um, and we firmly believe that waveform analysis is, 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 a, is a good modality, but we still have not had the chance to, to, to compare that to a gold standard. Yeah. What, a, what about the toe pressure index? Is, is that yeah. a useful replacement for it? Or? Yeah. 
top pressure index. Yeah. yeah. We also believe that the top pressure index, technically speaking, should be a valuable, valuable um, um, test. Because, well, anyway, that's what everyone says because of the reduced chance of calcification and all that stuff. Sometimes it's very difficult to, you, to, to use it and not a lot of people are trained to use it. I would, I would really, should really spend more time um, training podiatrists looking at toe pressures than ankle pressures. Okay. Also, one other thing, when you take an ankle pressure, if you're taking the pressure of the ankle, has nothing to do with the foot. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that's so I hope I a lot of people realize this. You're measuring pressure at the ankle and not at the foot. So that's another, you know, for ABI from, from my end. Yeah, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, where were we? Yeah. <laughs> well, where were we? Okay. <laughs> Some more projects. <laughs> we, we we have so many so many research going on you know it's so so keen on on finding new things sure. so basically then uh, we had we had established what, uh, what we call the uh, diabetes foot research group at the university and we got this project together to look at term, uh, thermography and we were looking at possibly applying thermography as a means of detecting um, uh, diabetic foot disease. So we we started off with looking at healthy people, okay, because you need to know the baseline, which is a healthy person. Um, and then we compared the thermal um, signatures, the thermal patterns of these uh, healthy people to people living with peripheral arterial disease to people living with uh, neuropathy and neuroischemia. So we have, you know, these four categories of people. Um, and basically, <laughs> we were quite shocked when our um, results in, in, in patients with peripheral disease under, under controlled climatic conditions, may I say so. So all the, all the, the lab was at 23 degrees Celsius that they exhibited a higher foot temperature than, than the normals. And it took us quite some time to try to understand it. Even our vascular surgeon couldn't, you know, um, couldn't understand it un until we started talk, talk, thinking about, you know, collateral circulation, and which is, which is more superficial. But we um, actually um, confirmed this in two different studies, which were published in, in, in two different um, journals. And then we compared all of them. And at this stage, we feel that we are at a position where we can actually identify whether a person, this is all theoretical, okay, at the moment, so don't tell me, but we, we are beginning to, to start a couple of studies on this, that we can actually identify whether a person living with diabetes has diabetic foot disease or not by, by taking a thermal image, which is, I, for me, I think would be really an, an, an advancement, you know, um, especially as a screening tool. And that, and that so basically looking at the temperature, yeah. we are... 
Yes, sir. So I was going to ask Alfred that thermal image could be done through our smartphones. Yes. Well, that is one of the, you know, because, well, the first study we did, we used a camera that cost 60,000 euros. Mm. So second one was a bit less, about 30,000. Now we are going, we are comparing different cameras, including tiny, tiny uh, thermal cameras um, that attach to the smartphone. There are even smartphones with built-in thermal cameras nowadays. Nowadays, so we firmly believe that the the higher the temperature, the more the probability um, that that person has diabetic foot disease of peripheral arterial disease, neuropathy, or neuroischemia um, increases with the temperature. You know, unfortunately, at the moment we cannot discriminate one from the other, but I. But we feel that if we can just say, out of 100 people, hey, you three, you, you might have this from a simple photo. I think it would be, you know, quite, uh, quite an achievement. So hopefully within a couple of years' time, we'll have the results on that. That's just to give you an example of toe temperature distribution. As you can see, the first two columns are the diabetes healthy and the healthy adults. Okay, whilst the other three columns are for neuropathy, PAD, and neuroschemia. And you can see the significantly higher temperatures between the healthy and the, um, and the uh, diabetic foot complication group. There. Oh, you know it. So the same thing in the forefoot. It's in the toes and in the forefoot. Um, I, for all those who are interested, we published this in the, I think it was the International Journal of Endocrinology, of endocrinology, yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, that was, this is our regression analysis, you see? So if you look at the dark, um, at the dark figure, which is slowly going up, it's, so this is temperature versus probability, you know? there comes a point, an intersection, where above that temperature, um, the, higher, the higher the temperature goes, the, the increased probability of having foot disease. And the lower the temperature goes, the, high, the, the, the higher the probability that you are normal, actually, that there is no disease. So we're very, very keen on this. And we, we really do believe uh, this, this in, in, in thermography. We also used it to look at um, ulceration in diabetic foot disease because, you know, it can give us, if you look at this thermal image, you can see the ulcer, you know, and you can see the level of activity around the ulcer, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's inflammatory reaction, um, whatever is going on, it, it gives us a second eye. And, well, we said then maybe, I mean, Look at this one. In this, in this patient, he had an apical ulcer on the second toe, yet the third toe is quite as hot as the second toe. And actually, this person developed an ulcer in that other toe as well after a couple of months. You know, looking, looking at a thermal image, I'm, I, I'm sure anyone can see that there's something wrong with this foot, right? So if you look at the first MP joint region on the, the on the right side of the of the screen right it is significantly hotter can you see that 
and you see mm. the area where it is so hot, it's actually eight degrees hotter than the than the other other area. Or and and what's causing it? Well, that's an ulcer. Well, actually, Alfred, was it an ulcer or was it an ulcer about to happen? No, no, this is an ulcer. It was an ulcer, an this active is, ulcer, yeah. This is a neuropathic ulcer. But, but you're clever because this is the second one, okay? Same features. This is an ulcer about to happen. Yeah. So it's an area of hyperkeratosis with, uh, with underlying um, bleeding there. It's not actually it's not actually um, ulcerated yet. So, you know, you can see that the possibility of, of um, using thermography to detect impending, impending ulcers. Yeah. And I think, Alfred, you know, you know my views from, from Italy about the conference about the, the potential to intervene to halt that process before the ulcer happens. That's the most exciting thing about this. Exactly. We, we just exactly. don't know what that intervention should be and if it actually does work or not. But that's... That's on the horizon, and, and that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. One step at a time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hello. Have you got any more there? Any more slides, Alfred? Yeah. Right. I can go forever, but yeah. I think that should be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, we're, 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 the, hour's, the hour's almost up. It's gone quickly. Yeah. Just, uh, let, me, let me just say, I know Craig mentioned... Uh, a while ago, very compliment in a in a very complimentary fashion that you guys were you used the phrase punching above your weight with regards to just how well organized and you were getting good student numbers in. But it's also worth saying that your research output uh, is just is just massive. Um, don't don't you think, Craig? I mean, I'm I'm just trying to think of um, that. That was my I mean, comment we've... about that was my comment about his stress levels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, got... <laughs> no, we actually enjoyed doing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's serious, it's serious, seriously impressive. I mean, it's pretty clear to me that anyone listening who, who, uh, who's thinking, I like hot weather, I want to do a master's, uh, I, I don't like the idea of how expensive master's in the UK are, and I've got an interest in diabetes or, or PVD. I mean, I just don't know what I'd expect an email from them by 10 o'clock tonight. I just can't see why they wouldn't want to get in touch with you about this stuff. <laughs> they are more than welcome. <laughs> Craig, do we have anything that's come through? No, we've we've had quite a few comments. A, a couple of questions have sort of been addressed. So, do you just want to do the stop stop share, Alfred, just so we can all come back on the? Cause the cause okay, believe it or not, so the hour's almost well, up. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh wow! No, yeah. No, I think I'm just I'm just scrolling back there. there there's there were there's there's been some comments. Um, not really any questions. There's a couple of questions there that have been addressed, but. If you too, if you've got time later on, can just come back and respond to a couple of the comments would be good. They're there for everyone to speak. The other thing I'd prob the other thing I'd probably say to anyone who isn't watching this live on Facebook right now, Thursday evening, but it is is currently in the gym or on the way to the car and they're listening to this as, as a podcast. I know many people prefer that that vehicle. Um you're not going to get as much from this particular episode if you don't if you don't see some of the screenshots that we've just seen. Some of that thermal imagery, I think, is is very powerful. So, uh, if you are the podcast listener who never normally goes to our Facebook page or our YouTube channel to look at the video, and that works a lot of the time, I think for this particular episode, treat yourself to the video as well because I think some of those images were, and also all of the, all of the the uh, the papers that you've you've highlighted there. I'll try I'll try and go th back through and I'll try and 
pull pull the papers and I'll try and post them in the links. But I think if you're yeah, if you're a podcast listener, come and listen to the video for sure. Or come and watch the video, I should say. Sorry. Yeah. No, so I think I mean that that's a good note to wind up on. So look, thanks so much, Cynthia. Thanks so much, Alfred. You know, it's it's really been good. It's it's answered a few questions I had about what's going on in Malta. Um, thank you for inviting us. No, thank you for inviting us. For, Thank for you for your time. That, for those that have joined late, um, if you come back to Facebook in about 10 minutes, the video should be there from the beginning. Um, it will be up on YouTube at some stage today. Depends if I go for a long run or not. It's whether I've got time to do it now or later. Um, and, the, and the podcast version will be there for everyone. So, look, thanks again, guys. Thanks, Alfred. Thanks, Ian. Thanks. And, uh, and maybe another... It's maybe good night from... Another 25% increase in population in the next five years, surely coming after this episode. <laughs> I, might be, I might be one of them. I might be. <laughs> okay, That's thanks. great. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>